Generations seem to be a big deal. Not sure you want to be defined by the year of your birth? Aren't we all unique? Then how do we explain Tinder and self-branding to a boomer? And how do you explain the importance of keeping a home and budgeting to a millennial? I'm Katie McEwen, a baby boomer and the author of Oldie's Guide to the Millennial World. My friend Anna Blackie is a millennial and the author of How to Adult. And in this podcast, we talk about the things that make our generations different and what we can learn from each other to make living in this crazy world a little bit easier. The world's big and scary, Anna, especially for millennials. <laughs> I know that. Um, um, and I think you know, this in this bit, we could probably talk about a number of things that have come up through your book, which are more uh, specific issues. But in more my sense, the world, scary world is you know how things are changing technology-wise, um, especially for people of my generation. Um, and in areas like work and the gig economy and all those things where that's a big change to what's happened from between our two generations. Mm. But perhaps we should start with some of the fun things that you've been talking about in your book about <laughs> how you can die, basically. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of ways to die, I've discovered. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like a big section of my book is all about the outdoors, which when I was writing it seemed like maybe a strange kind of topic to pick. Um, but I guess like it was kind of inspired by one of my friends who was really good at being outside. <laughs> um, like he's great at camping and like lighting fires and climbing trees and all that kind of stuff. And I just had like a moment of realization that I was like, if I was ever caught out in the wild, I would die. Like a hundred percent, there'd be no way I'd survive. And I just kind of I had a flashback to when my dad and I did like a father daughter camping trip when I was like eight and we brought one of those like pop tents like the ones for the beach that don't have like a closing door or anything <laughs> and like all the other families had like these really intense tents that had like rooms and like and a foyer and stuff yeah, <laughs> yeah. and dad and I are sleeping on this like spongy little mattress like crammed into this little like pop beach tent and he went to put like sand in the sides to stop it from flying away because we weren't at the beach so there wasn't any sand and it was just all really yeah and I think that was kind of like the pinpoint moment where I was like, I am going to struggle as an outdoor adult. <laughs> right. Um, and do you think that's a generational thing? Do you think that millennials tend not to do those things as much or, or not? It does feel like, again, I think that this is one of those things where there's like a divide and people pick the things that they're... I think that a lot of... One of the things that I've really learnt about millennials is that we are like not specialists in anything but we do kind of gravitate towards like one area like we have a smattering of knowledge about a variety of things but they do kind of like group together like I'm I'm into the arts and I like to sit indoors with alcohol and a nice book <laughs> and lots of other people are like oh sit outdoors with alcohol and no books so that's you know, kind of <laughs> I think it makes perfect sense. The millennials will understand. (laughs) The point is that we all like to drink. That's the. No, but I think, um, yeah, like for me, I really I wanted to understand how to be outdoors a bit more, but in more like a. It would be nice to know how to camp and to know a little bit about like how the stars can guide you when you're outside or like if you wanted to catch a fish like how would you do that and then there were things that I kind of thought of from like a bigger perspective like I remember there being a lot of talk about rips when I was a kid and like it's really good to know how to identify a rip and there's you know just so this is all information that is is handily available in the book but it's hard to kind of come across in one place yeah there was a 
um, and and again, we come back to this thing that's not necessarily taught. Those practical things aren't necessarily taught at school. Yeah. And if you don't learn them, particularly from your parents, then this then you're is just a good way of it. finding that information. Yeah, and I I feel like often with these kind of things that people do and don't learn at school, there's kind of that like if you miss the boat on one thing, you've just completely lost like a whole section of information. Like mm-hmm. um, when I was growing up, Duke of Edinburgh was a really big thing. I'm sure yes. for your kids as well. Yes. But like I never did Duke of Edinburgh. didn't realise it was a thing until it was kind of like already in progress. Yes. Yeah. And now talking to people that I know that did Duke of Ed, it sounds like it was a really great program that would have been really fascinating to learn about all of those outdoor things yes. and do camping and Stuff yes, and I suppose that unless you're in those community events like scouts and guides and then maybe at school cadets, those mm. things that give you that outdoor experience, or you've got parents who camp a lot yeah. and then you don't get to experience those things. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and again, it's like missing the boat on a complete section of information. And I feel like, like with cooking and that kind of stuff, like some people learn it and they get in there young and then they know, or some they don't and then they wait until they're 25 and they don't know how to make anything. Um and because, like, I did brownies when I was a kid, Girl Guides, brownies, yeah. Um, and we learnt how to tie knots, and mm. then we learnt how to bake cookies. That was it. And I feel like that, yeah, I mean... You obviously didn't stick with it. I mean, I can tie a lot of <laughs> knots now. I know how to tie my shoelaces, so that's been really helpful for me. I do love cookies, so, like, learnt something. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. But then, And then this, you've also got useful things like how to change a tyre and some more... Um, practical things in terms of mechanics and yeah um, just like that basic maintenance stuff with cars that again like it's kind of stuff that you like how do you skip that knowledge base like I owned a car and I didn't know how to do a lot of things like jump starting my car uh, which is actually super easy but I'd always had someone else do it for me usually a boy and now I'm like (laughs) Fuck the patriarchy, I'm going to jumpstart my own car. <laughs> but I don't have any jump cables, but if I did, I'd know how to do it. <laughs> I've got the cables. Oh, great. <laughs> See, we can do it together. We don't need no man. We're set. <laughs> um, yeah, so but I, seriously, I do think it's really good to have all that stuff in one book. <laughs> and I'd, you know, I'd give it to all my kids and say they're into it. Um, yeah. Mine are all quite practical, luckily, so that's good. Yeah, I feel like you probably taught your kids how to do this stuff. They're married to someone who can do all that stuff, so that's very handy because they did learn all that stuff very quickly. But I remember when ours started, my kids started high school and I had a sewing machine. So um, when Rachel started and had some sewing class, she was the only one in the class who had come across the sewing machine. And Matt was definitely the only person in his whole year who had used a power tool when he was 11. (laughs) So that was quite funny. The teachers were probably like, this kid's really good with a drill. He did win the prize for the drill class. (laughs) Because he was the only one who knew how to do it. He excels in drill classes. I'm very proud of Matt. Yeah, well, I guess, like, moving away from those kind of, like, tangible, practical things, like, there are lots of scary things about the world in a kind of more technical changing from how it was yes. in your generation. Yes, like, I think it, it is a bit scary for our generation to see how things are changing quite so rapidly mm. um, and how all the things that we think we assume are going to continue, um, like working conditions and um, things are just so different now and that, yeah. that whole gig economy and how um, your generation thinks very differently about work and um, is just fascinating. Mm. Share economy, how all those different jobs that are coming up now and how things are changing, traditional jobs are not as they used to be. Was there one big change that you think has been the scariest change? Mm. 
No, I just think it's the influence of technology as a whole that's that's made the difference. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how that will that will just continue to change, and it it'll be interesting to see. But I don't think people. Well, I mean, you know, traditionally when people would stick with the same company for years and years and years, and that's not mm. been the same for our generation, obviously. But the ease with which your generation slips between jobs and um, and might have a freelance job, and that will be absolutely fine. Mm. Um, whereas that wouldn't have been a thing that we would have thought was an appropriate way to be earning money. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you can have this gig economy where people can do things on a short-term basis or pick up money by doing things that they're good at yeah, and are quite comfortable to do that, I think is a really interesting change. Yeah, well, the gig economy is definitely a really cool approach to kind of breaking down the traditional career paths, I guess. So it's something that's like intimidated me a little bit because I feel like you just have to be very outgoing and like a real go-getter for lack of a better word yes. but yeah and I mean like seeing like uber driving in particular is like it's such a great concept and it is a really cool way to make a bit of extra money but then when you kind of think about like the building blocks behind it like you do need to have a car that car needs to be like you need rego and all that kind of stuff obviously but I think there's another level of like the security checks that it has to pass or some kind of like Yes, we'll check as fast. And it's just there is gig economy seems so easy from an external perspective, but I know that actually it's it is a lot more work than it seems, which is really interesting. I think the internet kind of makes things seem like much more instantaneous and like simplistic than they actually are. Which yes, yeah. and while it seems like it's a positive change in that you get the flexibility and you can work when you like, of course you're then living without employer benefits and yeah, um, all the other things that come from that. Yeah. Um, like I mean, yeah, Uber in particular has had a lot of problems, not just with its workers, but the way that they moderate the people that are drivers and all of the things that can happen with Ubers. That like, if you're in an accident when you're in an Uber, like the insurance is very confusing as far as I'm aware. Like it's all yeah, yeah. quite difficult. Um, and the other thing about that is that a huge percentage of your generation feel like they want to have their own business at some point in their yeah. life. So people feel that they're, and I suspect this is a, another consequence of the technology and the, the way that that frees it up is that you can um, start your own business without a huge outlay mm. um, and you can be connected and uh, reach your audience, do all the things that you need to do yeah. from the comfort of your own home. Yeah, and I think that like small business mentality from a lot of people in my generation is really interesting because probably like 80% of my friends have said like at one point I want to own my own business <laughs> like coming from parents who owned a small business when I was younger and still now I would never own a small business I just think it sounds it, I've seen it's really difficult mm. but it's that whole like be your own boss mentality that yeah. is such a big millennial thing like we really really want so much control and independence and I mean again it's like such a double-edged sword because like I like having someone tell me what to do apparently but like it's nice to have independence and freedom in like the jobs that you're choosing but then again like owning your own business sounds like a really cool idea in theory but then in practicality there's so much that goes behind that as well and I wonder again if it's another instance of the internet making things seem a lot more simple than they are and like influences and like celebs who have these like crazy profiles and stuff making all of these brands of their own accord that looks really easy and it's like well actually it's another instance mm. of like Inst Instagram versus reality where it's actually just not as easy as it seems mm. and that work getting even into that work economy 
is harder with the you know internships and mm. often they're unpaid internships and that casualization of the workplace because um, things have become much harder to uh, uh, that doesn't make much sense but um, you know the automation of things have mean meant that those casual jobs that level of casual jobs is less uh, likely to be there for yeah. people without skills or at uni or whatever so then then that in, internship where they're not paid makes things very difficult yeah. even to get into a job in a general job and I think that like especially coming from like an arts kind of media direction there was very little option but to do um, unpaid internships mm. when I finished university like I did three um, I did almost a whole year of unpaid internships before I got a proper job mm. and like good experience like some of them were really fun one of them helped me get a job that I like very much but like it's not mm. it's really hard especially for people again like in the arts area which is a big area there are a lot of people working here but like you don't see people that end up going to do engineering having to do like a year's worth of unpaid internships and then they go on to make a higher salary anyway so yes yes Yes. it's all seems a bit confusing when you're trying to figure it all out what do you think is one of the scariest things about the world now um i think the climate change whole concept is really difficult for your generation and we have uh, not done anything to help you in that I think <laughs> we've stuffed it up entirely um, and I think it's becoming more and more important and people are recognising the importance of it more especially yeah. after all the bushfires that we've had recently Yeah. Um, and it's front of mind for a lot of your generation um, clearly uh, you're, you're influenced by how it's affecting your generation but also how it will affect future generations yeah. um, and you're pretty unimpressed I think as a generation with how the government are handling all these things and yeah, the problems definitely. the world's facing. I think it's been, although the fires have been really terrible and frightening and have really impacted a lot of people very negatively, the whole world really, I think the biggest positive to come out of it is that people really seem to be like listening a lot more now mm. like the scariest thing is that it has taken this huge catastrophe for people to actually start paying attention and that even now the people in power are not really doing anything but no. it's still like I mean they're having a climate summit now oh, no they're having the economic summit at the moment yes I does. think who was it who's the queen's husband <laughs> it wasn't the Queen's husband, it was her son. Oh, okay, yeah, that one. One of the ones related to the Queen. But the things that he... Oh, that makes so much sense, because he said, my grandchildren. I was like, doesn't he have great-grandchildren? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> no, no. Good, I clearly really know what I'm talking about. But the things that he was saying were really interesting, that yes. he was like, people really need to start listening, and the fact that someone who's in, of such a high position has really come yes. out and started to... Like be He's been talking vocal. about environmental things for a long time, actually, mm-hmm. and people have thought they was a complete nutcase, but... Uh, in the nicest possible way. <laughs> um, but it's interesting that he is still saying those things. And he, he said his justification, I don't know if you heard, he said his justification was he didn't want, when his kids said, well, what did you do about it, to say, I didn't Nothing. do anything. Yeah. yeah. So and good. I think, yeah, I often think that kind of people need to be a little bit more, like, self-motivated by that in it. Uh, there are a lot of people that are like, what about my grandchildren? Like, I want to be able to have the opportunity to have that. And it's like... Yeah, like, think about it from a personal level because people obviously are only thinking about it from, like, an economic level or, like, Mm -hmm. you know... But it's, like, it actually affects each of us on an individual level and I think people are really inherently quite selfish and that they don't really start to make change until they realise that something is affecting them. So if that's the way that we have to start making change, then that's how we should begin and just build up from there because it does, like, if every single person stopped using 
coffee cups and stopped using plastic and stopped driving their cars, then eventually that would make a huge global change. Yeah, I thought one of the interesting things I saw was that, um, you know, a majority of Australians now think that we have to actually, that it is a serious problem, but also that even if it requires significant cost, we should be doing something about it. Yeah. So I think that's a big shift in attitude. Yeah. One of the things that I would have thought would be scary was drugs. Um, And as it turns out, of course, your generation, um, well, I mean, I suppose all generations of a certain age group use drugs. But as it turns out, your generations, the use of um, ecstasy and cannabis in particular, but also smoking and risky drinking are significantly lower than for previous generations at the same age, which I found was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that shocks me. Maybe I'm hanging out with the wrong people. (laughs) um, Yeah, like that, that does seem bizarre to me because I know so many people that smoke. Australia in particular has a ridiculous binge drinking culture. And it's funny, though, because... My brother is 19 and I'm 25 and six years does not seem like a huge gap, but I know that his friendship group, and again, maybe he's hanging out with the right people, but he is not super into drinking and like drugs is not a thing that they really engage with. And so they, you know, that whole lifestyle is just, it does seem quite removed even in that six year gap because like Mm. for us, when I was his age, I was drinking a lot. Maybe like, we shouldn't so, be having this conversation yeah. on a podcast. <laughs> I think my mum and dad have figured it out at this time. They're the only ones I'm worried about. I'm sorry, mum and dad. I think I have to say that a couple of times on this podcast. But, like, it does seem, yeah, I mean, mm. it's interesting. I think that um, drugs and alcohol and stuff are hard to assess when you are in, like, a group. Like, you can read the research, but it's hard to see outside of the social circles that you move in. And I think, like, is that a global statistic that the millennial use of drugs and alcohol has? Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I wonder if, like, again, Australia in particular, we have a really bad binge drinking culture. Like, I think smoking is actually a really big thing in Australia, even though we have that huge tax on cigarettes. I think so, because, oh. I mean... I'm surprised I don't see people smoking. Yeah, really? of your generation. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the whole, you know, I mean, the ones, the people, the millennials that I interact with are all gym going, you know, healthy eating. Yeah. Because, I mean, that still is a thing. Like, I know people that live on this very contradictory lifestyle where they are, like, going to the gym a lot, but they're also smoking. And then on the weekend, they're getting pissed. And it's, you know, and I think maybe it's because, like, I'm into, like, music festivals and concerts and stuff and, like, and drinking and drugs and alcohol are all, like, much bigger more prevalent thing in those mm. kind of mm. environments. Well, that's the other thing that's kind of the pill testing, yeah, drug checking, as it's known in the other places of the world, apparently. Oh, really? um, yeah, mm. in the Northern Hemisphere, that's what it's called. <laughs> um, and your generation is very in support of that. Yeah. And we've seen that in the news here over the last few years, um, the government's attitudes to that having changed quite significantly, where you know people realise that people are going to take these drugs and if we can make it a safe environment for them to do so that's probably yeah, the best a smarter way around it I went to um, Groove in the Moo in Canberra in I think it was two years or three years ago now and that was the first Australian festival that had pill testing um, and like we went, went over to the, test, to the tent to have a look and see what it was like and it's really like because it's such a funny contradiction because they have police at the gates of the festival yes. with sniffer dogs yes. and who are people having their bags searched and all that kind of stuff. But then you come in and there's like a couple of cops like hanging around in the corner and then there are people like just streaming into this pill testing tent and it's like... With their drugs. Yeah, with their drugs. And like yeah. uh, I read all the 
like statistics and stuff afterwards because they actually did find I think they found a whole bunch of MDMA caps that were filled with like paint thinners and like rat poisons and horrible mm. stuff and people like really did like they tested it and they just threw their stuff out if it looked like yeah. it was bad and then yeah. yeah and I think that that was one of the festivals that had like one of the fewest rates of like drug related medical incidents that yeah. Australia had seen for a while so and I think it's yeah that whole drug thing is so interesting because all the laws around people bringing pills into festivals and everything like it does seem to in some instances do more harm than good where people get really freaked out as they're walking to a festival and they go shit take better, better take all my drugs and they have massive overdoses and it's it's horrible like yes yeah yeah no it seems to make seems to be a sensible move yeah um, and the other thing is of course that there's a huge increase in the number of people who approve of um cannabis for medicinal purposes mm. um in your age group and it is available in australia it's difficult to access in practice of course but um it has been legalised in many other places in the world. So yeah. I think that's a movement that will happen more and more. Yeah, and it's funny, it seems like in Colorado especially it's been quite good for the economy, which yeah. is, yeah, nice. And, I mean, I've always kind of been of the opinion that, like, the government lacks money and that by having drugs being legal, like, regardless of what kind of that kind they are, if they were taxed like cigarettes, you could tax them to yes. a very exorbitant rate and you yeah. could make a lot of money. Like, and, yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely drugs aren't always necessarily a good thing but like it would well, yeah. you're not going to stop people experiment yeah experimenting with them i think and the if anything it would be harder to get them if they were legal and they were more like mm. if they were taxed and more mm. difficult to procure mm. and the other thing i sort of found was that the drug taking sort of fits into that um, millennials more general attitude to be socially progressive in that um in, even if you're not taking drugs yourself you're more likely to have a let's say fair attitude to friends and other people choosing what they want to do and not interfere in that let people do whatever they like yeah it does seem like again with like the festival culture and stuff as well it does kind of feel like there's sort of like a a community sort of spirit around drug taking or like watching like everyone's looking out for each other like you're Mm -hmm. really i don't know like if you see someone that looks like they're really not having a good time then you keeping your eye on them at a festival and like even if they're not part of your crew you just like you know, mm. like that person looks like they might need help later or like they need help now and you're there to like, yeah. yeah. And I know that the Red Cross at those concerts has, and those festivals have a whole lot of volunteers and one of my kids has done this where they are medically trained mm. to find people who are struggling with those before they get swooped to up into any where... sort of police um, involvement so yeah. that they're taken to somewhere safe and looked after and treated so that they yeah, can. Yeah, going to be okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. which yeah. is great. And I, when I went to schoolies, which granted was quite a while ago now, but they had this whole Red Frogs initiative, which I actually think is a Red Cross organisation, but they it was basically just like these big groups of like people over schoolies age who were just like kind of wandering the streets, like looking out for people who looked Being like helpful. they might have, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like... I didn't need them because I was <laughs> underage at schoolies. So and you weren't drinking. Of course not. <laughs> Definitely not. No, but I did have a friend who was in dire need of some help one yes. night and they managed to find her and bring her back to our hotel room. And then they came back the next morning and made us more pancakes. That nice. was really, really great. Yes. Yeah. 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 But that kind of I mean, stuff it's just is... acknowledgement that these things are going to happen. You're not going to yeah. prevent all these things happening, but to deal with them in a reasonable way. Yeah. To, yeah. And to fantastic. push it under the rug just seems silly like yeah. people will end up getting hurt and then they have no support and then they there's this attitude of well you brought it on yourself because you're doing something wrong and it's like well you know people have hurt themselves from drinking as well and that's legal too so and 
if anything, like I know far more people that have done stupid, risky things while they're drunk than people who have done it when they're taking drugs. Like yes. that doesn't mean that that's necessarily like the rule, but it does seem to be what happens a lot of the time. When I was writing out of adult, I got really freaked out by how much you need to know to be an adult. And there's a lot of responsibility associated with being independent and growing up. But I think that knowing all the basic things that you will learn from my helpful guide um, <laughs> makes it a lot easier to kind of at least feel like you have a handle on the life admin stuff. Mm-hmm. More like it just kind of takes the stress out because realistically, being a living human is a really difficult thing, regardless of how old you are. <laughs> and the thing is, you have no option. It's yeah, gonna you just have to do it. You just have to, like, lean into the difficulty. Yes. And I think also, I kind of... Uh, there's a joy in some of the difficult things as well. Like, you choose the things that you struggle with, and you might as well struggle with things that are kind of enjoyable, I guess. <laughs> like, don't struggle with how to fold a fitted sheet. Like, struggle with figuring out what you want your career to be like right. that's you know yes. it's not worth worrying over you can the deal small with all stuff. the small stuff by reading the book yeah exactly yep. <laughs> if you're a boomer and you want to know more about the millennial world you can find out everything you need to know in katie's book oldie's guide to the millennial world if you need some lessons on how not to be a trash human as i once was you can get wise and get it together by reading my book how to adult i'm anna blackie and thanks for listening